I was, I was 17 when I graduated from high school, and then 17 years later, I was preparing to take the graduate record exam. Uh, the GRE assesses three different areas uh, to, to enter into grad school, and uh, one of them included a not, not insignificant amount of algebra. Uh, the last time I had opened a math book was, at that point, half of my life ago. <laughs> and it felt like it. And I knew that if I had taken that test cold, I would have failed miserably. I had to study up on my algebra. So here's my question for you. What's one thing where you once knew the basics well, but now you have forgotten a lot of it? Could be algebra. Chemistry, typing, geography. It could be cooking, dancing, bowling, or sewing. It could be playing a game, reciting the state capitals, playing a musical instrument, or repairing a car. Whatever. What I want you to do in just a moment is to huddle up into groups of three or four and, and answer how you, and share how you'd answer that question. If you'd rather not share or you can't think of anything at the time, no worries. And once you form your group, just kind of glance around you. If you see somebody who's alone, see if they want to join your group, okay? What's one thing where you once knew the basics rather well, but now you have forgotten a lot of it? I'm only going to give you a minute or two, so jump right in starting now. You seem to have a little fun with that. That's good. You all are good about jumping into those things. Uh, now, if this is your first Sunday here, I want to let you know that this happens to be the last Sunday of an eight-week series on the absolute basics of the Christian faith. Uh, and you know, sometimes we pastors, we kind of forget to go back to them once in a while. And that's, I think, a mistake because if you don't review it, you lose it. And today's question is, what is our future? And today's, today, the whole series is based on a book by Phil Talon, which many of you have been reading, and I have really loved some of his stories and analogies. Here's one of them. What if you're a young person and you find somebody that you are just crazy about, but they won't even give you a second look. They are not interested at all, but there is a pill a Cupid capsule that would make them instantly fall in love with you forever. If you could find a sneaky way to give them that pill, would you do it? Well, most of us, I think, would say no. Because we know that deep down they don't really love us. We know that it was the pill that forced them into it. And we, what we really want is for that person's love to be freely given. And that's why God gave us free will, so that we could love him freely, so that we could follow him freely, so that we could trust him freely. So I, I love that analogy of the Cupid capsule to talk about free will. It, it's, it's very so simple and memorable and shareable. Anyway, I want to take a little bit of time to review where we've traveled in the last uh, previous seven weeks. Uh, so I'll put them up on the slides, Q&A, and you, I'll say the question and you join with me on the answer. Okay? Here we go. Question. What is God like? Answer. 
God is perfect in power, knowledge, and in his holy love. Question, why is there evil? Answer, God gave us free will to obey, and we did not. So right away, we begin to see the, the problem. The, this perfectly powerful, holy, loving God creates us, and we decide we don't want to go God's way. We know better what's best for us, and that causes all kinds of problems for us. We end up doing things that hurt ourselves and hurt others, and then we start treating God like an enemy. But God doesn't want to be our enemy, so he has a plan. Question, why did the Son of God become human? Answer, because God loves us and wants to make us true children of God. So Jesus opened the door. So we could come back into God's family. He, he died to reconcile us to God. He rose to defeat our death and destruction. Question. What happens when we then live out our salvation in Christ? Answer. God continues to work in us to make us holy and blameless. Did you know that? That... that that when you live into your faith and you live out your salvation, God is at work in you, continually making you, changing you into this holy, righteous, blameless, pure kind of person that you are meant to be. And much of that is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, which leads to our next one. Question, what does the Holy Spirit do? Answer, the Spirit leads us to repentance and gives us new life, and empowers us to follow Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is the, is the living presence of God in us, uh, inside all of Jesus' people, influencing you, empowering you to live this life. And then here's the one that we, uh, from last Sunday, and uh, this one, I had a hard time getting it all in one slide, but anyway, hopefully you've got your glasses on like me and you can read it. Uh, question, what are the church's sacraments? Answer, baptism is the holy covenant by which we join the church, and holy communion is the church's ongoing act of thanksgiving. Both are means of participating in Jesus' death and resurrection. So, all of these questions and answers tell one story, the story of salvation. And today we come to the final portion of that story. And now we're going to see um, one of the Absolute Basics videos. This one is on what is the world's great hope. So we'll watch the video and I'll narrate. Let's watch. The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith. What is the world's great hope? The Bible tells us a lot of things who God is and who we are, and it tells us what time it is, which is to say the Bible tells us where and when we are in the big story of the world. In Act 1, the story begins with humans in right relationship with God. In Act 2, the story shifts as humans rebel and continue to rebel against God's good rulership. In Act 3, God establishes a series of relationships with promises to a particular people. In Act 4, God actually enters the world through the incarnation, becoming a man. Jesus lived, died, was raised, and ascended to the Father. And in the last part of the story, Act 5, 
Jesus, the true king, works through his church to set everything right again and finally returns to fix everything forever. What this means is that where we are in the story is between Jesus' return to the Father and his return back to the earth. We're living between the climax of the story in Act 4 and the resolution in Act 5. God's victory over evil has already happened in Jesus' death and resurrection, but we're still living in the spot of the book before the resolution of all conflict. You could say we're living in the final victorious chapter, but before the very end. When the page finally turns and we finish the last chapter, the goal that God had at the beginning will be fulfilled. God's plan to have a people he can have perfect loving relationship with will once again be fully accomplished. And it won't be just our relationships set right. Everything will be redeemed. In Revelation 21, John has a vision for a new heaven and a new earth. All of creation gets rebooted so that it's in line with God's plan. Death is gone along with sadness and pain. And we live fully in God's kingdom. That's why John sees the holy city descending to the earth. God's dwelling is with people again. We could say that the return of Christ and the restoration of all things is the final answer to part of the Lord's prayer. In the Lord's prayer we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It happens partially now, but when Jesus returns it will happen completely. We can imagine it a bit like this. Imagine two circles. One is the fallen world and one is God's kingdom. Because Jesus has come and established his church, there are some places now where the circles overlap, like on a Venn diagram. That's God's kingdom on earth now. The circles just overlap partially. But when Jesus returns, the two will overlap fully. There won't be any part of our circle that won't be covered by God's circle. The two will be made one again, just like it was in the beginning. So what do you think of that? Is that encouraging to you? You know, Thursday morning, I, I went to go visit uh, Roger Kelderman. Some of you know Roger. Roger and Colleen became members here over 40 years ago. And... Uh, I knew that Roger was really sick. He told me that morning, he said, I, I don't think I have much time left. And as it turns out, Roger died that night. Anyway, on Thursday morning when I was with him, I, I read to him that scripture that Brian read for us a little bit ago. So I'm going to ask if you would, let's open our Bibles. We're going to turn to the, the last part of that passage uh, which is 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Pew Bible on page 1229. And, and by the way, if you wish you had a Bible at home, that you could read at home, uh, today we can make that happen just after worship. Head across the foyer to the, uh, uh, next to the elevator, you'll see the Connection Center and a little rack of Bibles there. Just pick one, grab one, don't ask, don't sign. Just take it home and start reading. And I would especially encourage you, think about... Uh, getting into one of our faith groups because that is where we can learn together, ask any question we want. We just kind of practice loving one another like Jesus said. It's a great, great thing to be in. Uh, anyway, chapter 3, verse 1 starts by saying this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us huh, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
And, that, and that's what Jesus came for. Is what he came to do is to uh, bring us prodigals back home, bring us back into the family to reclaim us as God's children. And then God pours his Holy Spirit into us, into our hearts, so that we can experience God's love for ourselves. And if we find, you know, that other people in the world scorn us or dismiss us because of our faith and what we believe or how we live, you know, it might hurt, but we also expect it. John says this in the rest of verse 1, the reason the world does not know us is because, hey, they did not know him either. If they don't understand Jesus, they won't understand us. And then in verse 2, John says this, Dear friends, now, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We know now that we're God's children, disciples of Jesus, living in this world, in this body, in this life, but after we die, what we will be like and what life will be like in that place, we don't really know much about that. Here's what we do know. We know that when we die, we who believe and belong to Jesus will go to be with him. In heaven, along with all the other sinners whose sins have been washed clean and forgiven by the forgiving self-sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Here's what else we know. Reading on. You with me? But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we, will see, we shall see him as he is. I love that phrase, we shall be like him. Say it with me, will you? We shall be like him. Doesn't mean that you're going to be a genetic, you know, copy of, of Jesus and look, you know, different. Your uniqueness, your individuality will not be erased. You will, you will still be you. But you will become a Jesus like version of the of you the you that you were always meant to be um, anyway on Thursday when I when I shared this scripture with Roger uh, and we looked at that place where it said we shall be like him and a broad smile came across his face and he said that's the best promise of all You know, when Jesus returns someday, I don't know what that's going to be like. I cannot tell you what it's going to look like, how it's going to happen. Um, but I do know this. It is one of the most repeated promises in Scripture. And that's when our souls that have gone to heaven will be given new resurrection bodies. Physical resurrection bodies. And we will live on this merged heaven and earth, uh, this glorious creation restored, redeemed. And that's where we're going to spend eternity. And there will be a day of judgment, a great separating. And for those who are in Christ, that verdict has already been pronounced. Did you know that? If you are in Christ, that verdict has already happened. We've already received pardon through Jesus. And for the rest, God's going to have to handle that, right? I mean, I, I don't mess with what only God can do. God will know how to handle it. But here's what we do know. As Christians, we shape our beliefs to be consistent with the New Testament. And the New Testament writers clearly say 
that not everyone will be with God. Not everyone will be with God for eternity. And some of them will be people who go to church. Because they've hardened their hearts. The second letter to Timothy talks about people who on the outside appear to be very religious. And that's the impression that they want to give. But they don't love God. And they don't know Jesus. And they haven't experienced the power of the Spirit to change their lives. Sometimes I, I get asked, will, will people get a second chance to believe in Jesus and accept Him as Savior after they die? Well, I, I cannot point to a specific verse and say, okay, clearly black and white, here's what it says. But here's how I have come to think about it. First letter to Timothy says that God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Right? God wants all people. That's God's desire. wants all people to be saved. Uh, and and God, God isn't going to change once you die and see him in the next life. God isn't going to go through a big personality overhaul because now you've died and now he turns into a grumpy, unforgiving ogre. I believe that God will still want people to be saved and to be with him forever, and it would be just like God to give him another chance. But here's the other side of that. We can't, we can't expect that once we die, that we'll change either. Right? Many will choose not to be with God. They, 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 they may not want to be in an eternity where Jesus reigns. I mean, that, that wouldn't be heaven to them. They, they'd, rather, they'd rather go their own way, uh, even if it means living separated from God. I believe that there are people all over the world today whose hearts are hardened. But if they heard the good news of Jesus, and if they... If, if they knew that the, the life and the love that he offers them, their hearts would soften. And they'd, they'd put their faith in him, and they would be made new. And, and that's why we want to bring the gospel to all people everywhere, all over the world, because whenever the gospel is heard, it comes with the Spirit's power, and the, there's power in that, in that gospel word, and it has the power to change people. It has power to open their hearts and to soften their lives. And yet still, if they do not respond, if they do not, and they continue to, to not respond, it also is possible that they will harden their hearts to the point that they will not want to live forever in a place where Jesus is king. They'd rather live in a hell of their own making. And God, who gave them free will, will respect their choice. In Hebrews 3, it says this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So, there, there may be some of you here today who said, you know, I, I sort of kept God, Jesus, all this sort of at arm's length, you know, 
I want to be able to do my own thing, my own way, and I'm not really going to go there. Let today be your day of salvation. God is calling you, so put your faith in Jesus and ask him to forgive you and to make you a child of God. Surrender your, heart, your life to him and say, okay, Lord, I'm all yours. You know, life is too short to just go through the motions, just to put on an appearance. Jesus is the rightful ruler of this world, and one day we are all going to stand before him to give an account of our lives. And today he stands before you with open arms. He says, come to me. Come to me and receive the grace, the amazing grace. Come to me and receive the forgiveness and the new life that only I can give you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let him in. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you know that how badly we need you, even better than we do. And you know the hardness that sometimes we allow to build up around our hearts. We become resistant, defiant, stubborn. And so, Lord, we ask that you will soften our hearts and help us to be willing to, to change, to look for you, to be found by you. Oh, Lord, let today be the day of salvation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.